Hello and welcome to Reformed Podmatics, a weekly podcast hosted by Pastor Mark Van Dyke and Pastor Zach Dewey of Almond Valley Christian Reformed Church in Ripon, California. This podcast exists to promote the vibrant, biblical, and historically informed face of Reformed theology, both in our context and beyond. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Reformed Podmatics. I'm Pastor Mark. And I'm Pastor Zach. And today we're going to be discussing different streams in the Reformed tradition. And um, this is something that we we were just talking about. We're surprised we haven't actually dealt with before because this is something that people probably need to know a little bit more about than they already do. Um, And um, just giving you part of the purpose for this episode, um, we want to inform the listener so that when you're on vacation, when you move to a new town, when you are uh, looking for a church to attend, maybe just once or regularly, you can know how different Reformed denominations are connected to one another or maybe a little bit more disconnected from one another than what you would automatically think. And so um, we want to start the episode by defining what we mean by Reformed. This is a contentious matter right now, is is defining um, the Reformed church and so our working definition is a congregation or denomination that holds to the five points of Calvinism. So um, maybe we won't go through all of the details on that right now, but uh, yeah, they we'll can... assume you know them. <laughs> yeah, they could be found in the Canons of Dort, um, which is actually four parts, and it includes um, two of the points of Calvinism combined in one section at one point. So... Um, the, after that, of course, and, and really alongside that is the five solas, and again, we'll kind of assume that people would be aware, sola scriptura, sola gratia, and et cetera. Um, basically, the solas communicate that the Reformed person has um, certain distinctives that, that we hold to when we're reading the Bible or when we're thinking about salvation, um, and, and many... I would even say non-reformed churches that are Protestant hmm. probably also hold to the solas. Yeah, the solas distinguish us from the Roman Catholic yeah. Church, whereas yeah. the five points or tulip distinguish us from various other streams of the Protestant family tree. Yeah, and like you would probably find that a typical non-denominational church or evangelical church or Baptist church mm-hmm. would hold to the five solas oh, in, yeah. in a very similar way to... And maybe even yeah. to the five points. Yeah, uh, yeah. There's There are non-denominational evangelical churches that hold to the five points. Yeah. So another thing we might add to our definition of being reformed would be to say that you are confessional, mm-hmm. someone who uh, officially uh, subscribes to one of the many confessions of the Protestant Reformation that are from the reformed branch. Uh, in the Protestant Reformation, the two major movements were the Lutheran and the reformed. This mm-hmm. isn't to say that there weren't others like uh, the Anabaptists, or even the Anglicans, although the Anglicans are somewhat of a mixture of Reformed and Lutheran theology. But a lot of confessions that come out of the Reformation are Reformed at least in one way or the other. And so the main ones, of course, are the one we hold to, the Belgic Confession. Mm-hmm. There would also be ones like the First and Second Helvetic Confessions, and even the 39 Articles, which Anglicans hold to. That's generally been recognized as Reformed. So that's another 
point, I would say, in being reformed is that you hold to one of these uh, historic confessions. Yeah, that really ties a reformed church to the historic church in a way that you really wouldn't find as much in, say, a non-denominational congregation or a Calvary church. Calvary. So um, there's more connectivity to the historic church, particularly to the Reformation in in a reformed congregation. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes during... uh, during candidacy interviews or candidacy exams at uh, the classical level here where a new pastor is coming before the, the classes, which is our, our region regional body of churches, I'll, I'll sort of mention, if I'm the questioner, well, a Methodist church believes in the solas and might believe in hmm. covenant and sovereignty and all of those same things that yeah. are reformed accent, you know, is something mm-hmm. that you hear a lot about. And mm-hmm. so what, what makes us any different? And and it's not really meant to be a trick question, but the answer is that confessionality. Yeah. So um, having a real meaningful connection to the Heidelberg Catechism, mm-hmm. to the Belgian Confession, the Canons of Dort, um, maybe the the more um, lay listener could think of it this way, that, that there would be a, a meaningful and evident connection to the historic church. Yeah, that's a good um, way of putting it. Versus thinking more de- non-denominational, um, um, hmm. where basically the church is, is sort of its own thing unto itself, and the pastor yeah. is kind of the one who sets the the, yeah. the trajectory for the congregation. A, reform, a truly reformed church will have some documents that are right. more than a generation old, um, probably 500 or 400 years old, that will help shape the theological direction of the church. Yeah, and as as Christians that hold to these confessions, we believe two things about them, at least two things about them. Uh, one, they come and are derived from Scripture in their teachings, which is why we subscribe to them, uh, not because they have any authority in themselves, but mm-hmm. because derivatively we see their the truths that they confess are being confessed in Scripture. And then two, they then help us to uh, they frame our understanding of Scripture. Now, we may have a problem with that. Oh, yeah. we should have no lenses on yeah. how we read Scripture. Uh, confessional churches, this includes both Lutherans and Anglicans, uh, and even in Roman Catholics in some ways, mm-hmm. we we recognize that we all have confessions mm-hmm. one way or the other. Yep. We're all reading the Scriptures one way or the other. There is no such thing as reading the Scriptures with no lenses. Yeah. Uh, I think a lot of Christians throughout history have have said that they do that, but it's quite demonstrably false. Uh, and so we we see confessions as something we just need to be honest about. We all have confessions, whether or not they're written down. And by writing them down, they can be taught, they can be inculcated in people over the course of time. Mm-hmm. And they, they are sort of our bridge back to, as Mark said, to the historic church. Uh, you'll see in the Reformation confessions of the Reformed churches, a commitment to historic Christianity, a commitment to the teachings of the early creeds, for example, that comes through very, very clearly. And the beginning of our Belgic Confession, the first several articles of doctrine are basically uh, the Reformed churches saying, yes, we are Catholic Christians. Uh, Not Roman Catholic, but we are Catholic. Uh, And one final point we could add to this sort of uh, description of what it means to be Reformed would be that you hold generally to, and this can get a little bit 
into the weeds, and we'll try to avoid that. But generally, you hold to what we might call a Presbyterian system of government. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, that's Presbyterian with a lowercase p. Uh, there, As we'll see here in a few minutes, there are Reformed Christians who go by the title Presbyterian, and that's with a capital P. And we'll explain what that distinction is. But to have a Presbyterian government means that you are a church that has elders and deacons. Hmm. Uh, And it means a little bit more than that. It also means that generally there is a a national assembly. Hmm. Uh, That's the historic way of doing things, at least in the Reformed tradition, to have national assemblies, or even in our case, a binational assembly with Canada and the U.S., Mm -hmm. although now that is growing slightly. But there are congregational churches that have a system of government that is, they have elders and deacons, but they do not have any sort of uh, structure beyond that. There is no such, no really denominational authority. Uh, And so most most Reformed churches do have a sort of uh, higher structure than just the local church. Uh, but generally speaking, the authority rests in the leaders of the local church. Yeah, so we can get into it. I, I think um, as we start to list some of the different streams of the Reformed tradition, I, we are going to be excluding some, and in some cases, not just accidentally excluding some. For example, yeah. we're not going to be including the United Church of Christ or the United Church of Canada, um, both of which are members of the World Communion of Reformed Churches, because um, the main reason for that, uh, and other, I would say, very liberal denominations, progressive denominations, is is a word that I said a few times earlier in this podcast, a meaningful value of the confessions. So yeah. um, there, there are whole denominations, um, in some cases, churches within a generally good denomination that really has no time for the Heidelberg Catechism or the yeah. Belgic Confession or anything that John Calvin would write. Or, it actually disagrees with it quite vehemently. Yeah, it, like uh, would, would deride John Calvin yep. as being kind of a curmudgeonly theologian who isn't very a, a very good thinker. Like, Yeah, I um, wasn't enlightened. Yeah, they, they're sort of na- claim the name of being reformed for whatever kind of organizational reason Heritage that might be. reasons. Yeah, um, however, yeah. there would be no real love for the doctrines of the tradition, the historic Reformed Church. Yeah. And so you'd see that in the United Church of Christ where there are ministers in the United Church of Christ who don't even believe that God exists, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, United Church of Canada being even more progressive, very close even to a Unitarian Universalist type of. Yeah. Uh, there was a story out of Canada where a, um, a U- United Church of Canada minister was fired for not believing in God anymore, and she sued her church for a sort of discrimination lawsuit. Hmm. And, and the fact that that would even be considered in a denomination, and it, it, I think it went all the way to very high court, maybe even the Supreme Court of Canada, mm-hmm. um, kind of shows where the uh, the denomination is at. Um, and so, yeah, um, we won't go too far down that rabbit hole. But we're <laughs> we're not including some denominations because, although they may be reformed in name, they, yeah. they are not at all reformed in doctrine or in history or or so forth and values. Yeah. I think we could say at the very least that there is sort of concentric circles and there are going to be some denominations that are sort of right in the middle of what it means to be reformed. And then there are going to be those who are more on the fringes, Mm -hmm. whose, 
whose connection to the Reformed tradition is a little bit more tenuous or yeah. uh, hazy, you might say. And so that's, I think, one helpful way of at least thinking about this. Yeah. Uh, but as Mark said, we're hoping in this that people who are listening, you guys out there, will be uh, helped as you think about sort of your own place, perhaps, in the Reformed tradition. You'll be helped as you're mm-hmm. on vacation or maybe you're moving to a new town and you're looking for uh, a Reformed church. We're not going to be giving a full-on <laughs> list and description of the different Reformed denominations that are out there. There's a lot of them. And so that would take far too long. That would maybe take a whole series <laughs> mm. of episodes, which we are not planning on doing. And so we want to maybe give you the sort of the broad brushstrokes of the Reformed tradition. And as we sort of sat in here and uh, bounced ideas off of each other, we kind of came to the conclusion that there would probably be two helpful ways to go about this. And one of those ways is to look at the Reformed tr- tradition geographically, mm-hmm. and the other one would be would be to look at it more theologically. And so our hope in this episode is to go down both of those roads a little bit, starting mm-hmm. with uh, the former, with geographical streams of the Reformed tradition. Now, being that we are in the Christian Reformed Church, maybe we should just start with what we could call the Continental Reformed Tradition, mm-hmm. uh, which simply means continental as in it comes from the continent of Europe. Uh, the Reformed tradition comes from two major locations, the continent of Europe and the English-speaking uh, Isles that we now know as the United Kingdom. Mm-hmm. Those are the two sort of uh, central places that the Reformed tradition uh, took root and uh, spread across to the rest of the world. And so by looking at the continental Reformed churches, we can notice our own, the Dutch Reformed Church from the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. But continental Reformed Christianity was also present, at least in the early Reformation, in other places like Germany. This is where we get the Heidelberg Catechism, which we hold to. Reformed theology also spread to France and Switzerland. We can think of John Calvin himself, who was a Frenchman who ministered in Switzerland. And it was also, it spread to Hungary, even to Italy, and to Spain, believe it or not. And so... And we could also mention, I believe it spreads to Finland, it spreads to Sweden, all these sorts of places mm-hmm. that you maybe didn't even expect that it spread to. It, it did spread to these places. But generally speaking, these continental bodies hold to a couple of major confessions. The most popular would be the one we hold to, the Belgic Confession. Others would include the first and second Helvetic Confessions. These uh, Helvetic is just a fancy word for Swiss. Hmm. And so those were written by Heinrich Bollinger. Uh, and that would sort of follow the Zwingli line of the Reformed movement. Which is not uh, nearly as large today, especially no, in correct. North America. Yeah, it does not really have much of a presence in the U.S. You really won't find any churches in the United States holding officially to the Helvetic Confessions. Uh, I like the Helvetic Confessions, <laughs> but I'm not in a church where that is my official uh, confession. And so the, the, the big main player on the continent, if we're being honest, and maybe this is just our our hubris and our (laughs) lack of perspective, but it is the Dutch Reformed tradition. And it has a fairly large uh, influence in American Reformed Mm. Christianity. Mm -hmm. And so within the Dutch Reformed tradition, if we're just talking about the U.S., Mark, what are the major denominations? You would know this even better than I would. So we are Christian Reformed Church of North America, which is the United States and Canada, I believe we're at about 650 to 700 congregations now. 
that number is shrinking. Our denomination is shrinking, um, both in membership and in number of congregations. And uh, there's a lot of talk about what to do about that, but um, that's kind of where it is right now, about 650, 700 churches. And um, uh, somebody just messaged me who is overseas right now and is with a, a group of Christians where she's serving and said that she's with a bunch of people who have never heard of the Christian Reformed Church before, hmm. which sometimes is surprising to people if you come from Linden, Washington, or Ripon, <laughs> California, or Sioux Center, Iowa, or Grand Rapids. I had never heard of it until but right before seminary. Exactly. Um, so there are pockets of Christian Reformed congregations. There's, there's strangely, well, maybe not strange, but historically a, a concentration of Christian Reformed mm-hmm. churches in different places. Like yeah. L.A. has quite a few. Yep. Um, San Francisco just has a handful, even yeah. in the whole Bay Area. Those are probably more recent than the L.A. ones. Exactly. And, um, you know, Portland, Oregon just has a couple. Mm-hmm. And Seattle just has a, a couple of them. Mm-hmm. And, and so you, you can't just judge by where there are a lot of people, there are going to be a lot of Christian Reformed churches. In fact, our greatest concentration by far is in Grand Rapids, Michigan, which is... Vatican City. Yeah, it, it's, it's a good-sized city, but by no means a, uh, a, a metropolis um, that is influential in, in all kinds of ways. And so um, this denomination is traditionally, uh, many Dutch people would come over from the Netherlands, and instead of just going to where they could find a job. Mm-hmm. The greatest priority for a Dutch immigrant in the late 1900s, early 20th century into the mid 20th century was we have to go where there's a Christian Reformed church. Yeah. And we have to go where there are other uh, people of Dutch background who we can maybe speak Dutch with. Mm-hmm. And many Christian Reformed churches even had Dutch services. That into, was one of the, the defining features early yes. on in the CRC. He had to hold on to Dutchness, um, often at the expense of. Um, becoming American. Um, mm-hmm. And so uh, that that is manifest in a number of ways, but um, you know, I, I will sometimes tell our council encouraging ev- evangelism that the the boat from the Netherlands has stopped. And so um, we can we can <laughs> no longer expect that um, you know, the de Young family will move into Ripon and just mm-hmm. want to go to our church partly because there's other reformed options around here yeah. but but I would say even more importantly that we need to just get better at evangelism to all kinds of people from all kinds of backgrounds. Yeah, the pipeline is no longer yeah, what it um, was. And and denominational loyalty is quite low. Yeah. Um even in the Christian Reformed Church where I would say it's higher than a lot of other denominations. Oh man, it's much higher. When I first got here, that was something that really stood out to me was people's yeah. denominational loyalty. Yeah. It was almost on par with the denominational loyalty of Roman Catholics, where mm-hmm. if you move somewhere, you only are going to go to a Roman Catholic church. You're not even going to consider another option. And that was kind of the sense that I picked up uh, in my first year or two of being here. Yeah, and you'll see that, particularly in the boomer generation, Yep. less so in the in Gen X, less so in my generation and the yours, millennials. the millennials, and yeah. almost zero in the Gen Z, yeah. I would say. It's, yeah, a very, very low ebb. Um, and so, anyways... <laughs> Uh, Christian Reformed Church, we hold to the, the confessions that Zach has already listed. And our sister denomination, the most closely related denomination that people would be familiar with, is the Reformed Church in America, mm-hmm. um, which is going through a split right now. And um, there are denominations being formed from the Reformed Church in America called the Kingdom Network and the Alliance of Reformed Churches. 
Um, the RCA uh, has a lot of the same beliefs on paper that the Christian Reformed Church does. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, it's very, very much like the CRC uh, in a number of ways. So where yeah. where the CRC has Calvin University, the RCA has Hope College. Where yeah. the CRC has Calvin Seminary, the, the the RCA has Western Seminary, and there are these mirror institutions. Yep. Even Dort and Northwestern colleges in in mm-hmm. Iowa have sort of CRC RCA rivalry things happening there, yeah. and and so huh. um, it, it's it's kind of a parallel denomination in a lot of ways. Um, but in the RCA, you will find a a more liberal stream. Yeah, institutionally, we're very similar. Yeah, yeah. in our design and setup, but yeah. theologically. Uh, they would be a few clicks to the left, and, generally speaking. That's very, this is all very generalized yeah. language. But to give an example of that, there are ministers in the RCA that are open and affirming and in same-sex relationships, yeah. and that is a public thing. Whereas there is not one minister I'm aware of who would be a practicing homosexual mm-hmm. person who would openly officiate same-sex weddings. Yeah, I've I've never been aware of that. There is... Uh, been a lot of talk, of course, of a deacon in hmm. um, in Michigan who is uh, a woman married to a woman, and um, there's been a lot of reaction to that. And she's mm-hmm. even it, this church has been told to unseat her to yeah. uh, from her position, and and so that's very different than what's happening in the RCA. And so I would say if somebody's going to to find a, a church, um, there could be very good Reformed Church in America congregations. I have friends who are ministers in the RCA who are very good pastors. Some of their theologians I, I appreciate. Yep, yep. Like Todd, Todd Billings, Billings. Yep, yeah, for sure. Um, and uh, some good preachers in the RCA as well. We get along quite well with the RCA church in our town, which has actually just left the RCA. Um, but mm-hmm. to be discerning in that regard, to go to the church website and um, dig a little bit deeper, uh, you'll hopefully be able to tell, is this a, a faithful Reformed Church in America that is um, truly going to preach Christ mm-hmm. and hold on the word to the word of God, come what may? Um, do that with CRC churches, too. Yeah. Um, it's unlikely you're going to find something that is, I would say, aggressively or openly progressive from a CRC pulpit, but that yeah. that is probably going to be increasing in years ahead. Um, you're going to be less likely, I would say, to find it in the CRC than you would in an RCA church. And so yeah. um, now turning the other direction to uh, <laughs> the United Reformed Churches, which, uh, Zach, do you want to go into Yeah, sure, sure. So the United Reformed Churches of North America or in North America, it's interesting to point out that their uh, their name is United Reformed Churches, in North America, whereas the other two, the CRC and the RCA, the C's stand for church. Uh, So they are very self-consciously what they would consider a federation of Reformed churches, and that means that they are more uh, decentralized. Mm -hmm. They they put more emphasis on localization and local congregations, Uh, and I think part of that is because of the URC's history having come out of the CRC back in the 90s, uh, sort of as a result of the women's uh, ordination issue that was highly contentious in the CRC in those days. Uh, and so they left seeing that as a sort of movement toward progressivism and liberalism. And so that was mostly what the URC uh, sort of started as. And now they are known as more staunchly reformed 
probably the most staunchly reformed uh, Dutch denomination in the U.S. that has much of a yeah. influence. There are even more conservative, smaller Dutch reformed groups, but they have a very, very small uh, sort of uh, footprint, you might say. Sure. Whereas the URC is well known, particularly for Westminster Seminary, California, mm-hmm. and some of the major thinkers and theologians that come from that school which would include Michael Horton and uh, Scott Clark and Bob Godfrey, among others. And so they are really strongly confessional and really emphasize that uh, part of our our heritage as Dutch Reformed Christians. And so I think that's that's a good way of covering it. I don't need to go too much deeper in in depth there. Well, and and if somebody's coming from a CRC and and is— rolling into a town with a URC, I would say that on paper, our congregation and a URC, I can't think of yeah, we're any fairly real differences, close. actually. Yeah. Um, they they would hold very tightly to what's called the regulative principle of worship, yeah. um, more than our own congregation would. Yeah. Uh, they would have a, a more precise definition of what that will include. Yeah. Like, for example, I don't think you'll find praise teams or praise leaders in, in a URC, um, hmm. would just have a simple accompaniment with uh, singing out of hymn books or maybe off of yeah, a screen. Yeah, typically, yeah. at least there's a fairly large URC church here in town, Zion, mm-hmm. uh, and I had the privilege of preaching there once, and the sort of standard way of doing music was with a piano or with an organ, yeah. and the pastor remains at the pulpit and sings. He's not mic'd up. The mic mm-hmm. gets turned off. Mm-hmm. And so he's more mostly just sort of helping people to see when to come in, <laughs> yeah. when to start singing. And so, uh, yeah, I, I don't think, from my, my limited knowledge, I don't think praise teams are, are common. Yeah. Uh, and if we want to jump ahead a little bit, if people know the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, the OPC, mm-hmm. I would say, and the URC, would be very, very similar, almost parallel. Yeah, they just um, released a hymn book together back, I think, okay. in 2019. Sure. And so that, that even shows that they're they work they have worked to get together ecumenically on on a, a psalter hymnal. Um, and so that that that's a good example. I think that they are. If you were to map the spectrums of the Dutch Reformed and the Presbyterian churches, they would be right across from each other on yeah. that spectrum. Yeah, and um, so there are a few more. Uh, continental Reformed churches with um, Dutch heritage, both ethnic mm-hmm. and theological. That would be Protestant Reformed. Um, our own Pastor Phil, um, who uh, was at this church, grew up Protestant Reformed, and mm-hmm. pretty regularly I'll run into somebody who is from a Protestant Reformed background. Mm. Um, and um, this is uh, a split that occurred in the 1920s from the CRC, and um I'm not going to go into all the details of why that happened, but it's a very small denomination that is um, more theologically conservative and traditional than the CRC. Um, then you also find the Heritage Reformed Church, which is um, uh, Joel Beakey is a very influential voice in mm-hmm. this uh, denomination, and then also the Netherlands Reformed Church. And um, the Netherlands Reformed Church is also very small, uh, there is there was one in Linden, not too far from where I pastored in my my previous church, and there were quite a number of people who were coming from Netherlands Reformed churches, um, and actually were were interested in coming to my congregation. And um, in this denomination, it is it is the most theologically conservative 
denomination that that I am even aware of in any denomination hmm. actually and how strict they are um, I would even go so far as to say very legalistic and hmm. dangerous um, speaking yeah. in in the context of that congregation um, and some limited knowledge of some other Netherlands Reformed congregations hmm. I would say people would want to definitely steer clear from that denomination hmm. that is that is helpful if anybody's thinking about yep. that take that into consideration Uh yeah, so we can move now. That that's sort of the outlook of the continental and particularly the Dutch tradition of reformed Christianity. But as we said, Calvinism or reformed theology spread across the English Channel into England, into the UK, and actually spread to all corners of the UK. So we can think of the four mm-hmm. countries represented in the UK today: England, Wales, Scotland, and Northern Ireland as well as Southern Ireland, um, which is now the Republic of Ireland. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it spreads, and as it lands, we first see Reformed theology amongst early Anglican leaders, and many of the early Anglican archbishops, including Thomas Cranmer himself, would have seen themselves in in alignment with John Calvin, uh, Michael or Martin Bootser, who comes across and actually is a teacher there. Hmm. Bootser would have been Calvin's sort of mentor. Bootser comes from Germany, uh, but he he goes into exile into England. England sort of becomes the place of welcome for uh, theologians, Reformed theologians who were getting booted out of their countries for political reasons. And so Bootser comes, Peter Martyr Vermigli, an Italian Reformed theologian, comes, and Anglicanism takes a turn towards Reformed theology, and this actually is, I think, embodied in the 39 Articles. Uh, If you go to a website called reformed.org, you will find all sorts of interesting information on the Reformed tradition, and they will have all the different confessions Mm -hmm. uh, that we know of that were written by Reformed churches in the Reformation, and one of them is the 39 Articles. Uh, But Anglicanism is seen by many in the Church of England as a sort of halfway stepping point, not fully reformed and needing to be reformed more uh, more strongly according to God's word. That was the the argument. And so you see uh, a movement in England crop up, and they are in many ways learning from those who are north of the border in Scotland. So Scotland, under John Knox, becomes strongly Presbyterian. Uh, Knox was a student of Calvin, spent some time in Geneva, and comes back and begins trying to bring the Genevan Reformation of Calvin to Scotland and is slowly but surely successful. Mm -hmm. And the English Puritans are seeing what Knox is doing, and so they begin to try to reform the Church of England. Eventually, these two groups sort of come together in the 17th century, and they write the Westminster Confession of Faith. And so Westminster Confession of Faith is the standard confession for any Presbyterian body. So if you ever see a capital P Presbyterian denomination, you know that they in some way, shape, or form have a connection to the Westminster Confessions of Faith, which include the Westminster Larger Catechism, Shorter Catechism, and the Westminster uh, confession itself. These are collectively known as the Westminster Standards. Hmm. And these churches that you may see, the most common Presbyterian denomination you might see if you're traveling is known as the PCUSA or the Presbyterian Church United States of America. Yeah, by far the most common Presbyterian right. church. Right. And yeah. usually their churches will look, I would say, very churchy. 
uh, <laughs> to put it one way. They will look like old historic churches. Mm-hmm. And that's because they are an older denomination uh, than many other PCAs, which come around that spring out of it in the 20th century. Those would include the OPC, as we've already mentioned, that, that sort of follows from the Westminster Theological Seminary in Philadelphia, J. Gresham Machen mm-hmm. and others who left the PCUSA, uh, and started that PCUSA. By the way, their big institution would be Preston or Princeton. Sorry, Princeton yeah. Theological Seminary. Definitely. Uh, later, then in the '60s, I believe the PCA, Presbyterian Church in America, uh, left from the PCUSA. This is all alphabet soup. I know it's hard to keep <laughs> track of, uh, but the PCA is home to many well-known Reformed or Presbyterian thinkers, pastors, authors today. One of the biggest would be Tim Keller, mm-hmm. uh, although others would include, uh, I, I think of the ones at the seminaries I know, yeah. uh, uh, Scott Swain, my own seminary's president, or Michael Kruger from RTS Charlotte, and uh, uh, Kevin, Lig- Kevin DeYoung now. Yeah, Ligon Duncan, I think. Ligon Duncan, yeah. 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 Those would be some of the PCA uh, movers and shakers. The PCA, it's helpful to know, is probably probably the the their their influence is maybe the biggest yeah. in American Reformed theology yeah, right now. Definitely, yeah. uh, because of those those names in particular, which we've mentioned. Another one uh, would be the ECO. That's the Evangelical Covenant Order of Presbyterians. That's a I believe that they started in the 21st century. Mm-hmm. They also left from the PCUSA. So all of these are sort of different splits from the PCUSA. Uh, and so the ECO... Generally for conservative, and it, needing uh, sort of to split off because the PCUSA was becoming liberal in their view. And yep. so there was some straw that broke the camel's back and you know, every 10, 20 years or so, just like with the RCA having split offs yeah. and CRC even as well. Um, so thinking of that PCUSA, which is very large, having just these splinter groups, mm-hmm. that ECO, and then after that, the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. I don't know if it was before or after, but similar to the ECO. And so, yeah, EPC, Evangelical yeah. Presbyterian Church, that's the last one. Yeah. So if, if And somebody, they're actually pretty similar to the CRC, yeah. I would say. If we yeah. were to map ourselves onto the Presbyterian spectrum, the CRC and the EPC are... Very, very similar. Yeah, and theologically. And so when we're on vacation, generally we look for a PCA church mm-hmm. to attend. Um, I would, I would welcome attending uh, Orthodox Presbyterian Church. We have attended a uh, ECO church. I believe mm-hmm. there's one in Modesto, Modesto Covenant mm-hmm. Church. I believe is ECO, um, and had a really nice time there with a very good sermon, very good worship service. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, just attended a PCA church in Lexington, Kentucky while we were on vacation, Hmm. and they had a wonderful service. It was a church just like ours in a lot of ways. They read the Q&A one of the Heidelberg Catechism during (laughs) confession time. It was awesome. Yeah, Presbyterians love the Heidelberg Catechism, I will say. (laughs) And so that's generally what I encourage people is if, if you're... Um, if you're at Disney World in Orlando, find the nearest PCA church. Um, if you're in, um, you know, uh, in LA or wherever, there's there's yeah. usually uh, it's a bigger denomination than some of the other small ones. Or you know, finding a Christian Reformed church that's a faithful congregation is mm-hmm. certainly an option as well. I would even welcome going also to a United Reformed church. I've never actually mm-hmm. just gone to a regular service. I've been to a funeral at. Uh, a URC before, but certainly that would be a great option as well. 
Um, mm-hmm. And so because of Zach, I, I am more open to going to an Anglican church than certainly <laughs> I would have been before he arrived. Yeah, uh, um, but, buyer beware. But, but there, um, note on the church website, hopefully you're going to find an ACNA Anglican church. Yeah. So Anglican Church North America is going to be a more faithful um, more theologically traditional, theologically conservative denomination than the more catch-all label of Anglicanism, which has a broad spectrum of, I would say, theological quality. Yeah, so depending on where you're at on on things, in terms of your low church, high church mm. levels of comfort, you will want to be, be aware of whether the Ang- Anglican Church of North America congregation that you're going to is high church or low church because it's it's a mix it's it's a it's broad in that sense the ACNA is sort of a coalition of anglican congregations from across the US and Canada that could not stand uh, in the churches uh, in the episcopal church mm-hmm. in the US and the anglican church of Canada that those those two denominations were moving towards the left on issues of sexuality so the ACNA is effectively a traditional they hold to the traditional Christian sexual ethic, uh, but other than that, they are very broad and diverse. Some ordain women, some don't. Uh, some would be Calvinistic, some would not be, and so it's going to be a mixed bag in that regard. But mm-hmm. uh, in terms of their conservativeness, we they would be fairly similar to the CRC uh, or to, uh, yeah, the EPC. Mm-hmm. Or even somewhat kind of like the PCA. Mm. And so, yeah, yeah, there's a little bit of a, <laughs> I guess, a warning label on that. Although I myself have many friends in the Anglican Church of North America and appreciate it for what it is. Yeah. And so maybe one final stream that we can think of is um, the Reformed Baptists. Yeah. So um, this is a little bit different because generally the reformed baptists we would really be using the term reformed quite loosely there especially in the confessional sense mm-hmm. and having a meaningful connection to some sort of historic confession because at your typical baptist church you're really not going to find that um, yeah. you're going to maybe hear a little bit more of it's it's me and jesus it's me and my bible um it's uh, low church and uh because of because of that approach to church, uh, probably having less of a regard for the historic church. Um, mm-hmm. and I don't even mean that critically. I just mean that practically. That's how it often It's just goes. an observation, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Um, and so, however, you'd say, well, why even include them in this conversation? There would be a lot of Baptistic ministers, Baptist churches mm-hmm. that hold to the five points of Calvinism, the five solas mm-hmm. that... Um, do church government in um, in a reformed way, at least on the local mm-hmm. level, um, that they would have elders and deacons and so forth. Now, it would break down a little bit if you consider that, I believe, reformed teaching is to have some authority that's higher than the local church that can yeah. help or influence um, the local church as well. Mm-hmm. There's, they're tied to something bigger than just the congregation itself. It's not purely mm-hmm. congregationalist. And so... Um, you, but you are going to have those those Baptist ministers who mm-hmm. preach the Reformed faith, um, especially in terms of salvation. What is salvation? How does that work? Mm-hmm. Um, Charles Spurgeon, John mm-hmm. MacArthur, John Piper, David Platt. Um, these ministers are going to point people to 
good teaching, particularly on salvation and how that works. They're going to be openly yeah. Calvinist. Yeah, it gets a little tricky in, in giving them a title because there are many Baptists, with a capital B, who mm-hmm. are in Baptist denominations, like the Southern Baptist uh, Convention, which people often say is not a denomination, but for all intents and purposes, it is. Yeah. The Southern Baptists do not hold to the official Reformed Baptist Confession, which is known as the London Baptist Confession of Faith, uh, which is a slight revision of the Westminster Confession of Faith, which is what Presbyterians hold to. Mm-hmm. So there, are, there's not a whole lot of Reformed Baptist denominations in the U.S. There are there are a handful, but they are very small. Most Baptists who are who consider themselves Reformed Baptists uh, are in sort of you might say normal baptist denominations where for example the west or the south southern baptist denomination yep. they're not officially calvinistic mm-hmm. there are southern baptists theologians and pastors who are not calvinists sure who would even be aggressively not calvinists at dallas theological seminary you'd find a lot yeah. of that which is a baptist and school and there are some who are very calvinistic like al moeller and those who are at southern baptist uh, theological seminary in yep. kentucky mm-hmm. and so all that being said, none of the Southern Baptists are confessional in the sense that we are meaning. So MacArthur, Piper, actually they're not, neither of them are Southern Baptists, but they're in different sort of groups mm-hmm. and they don't hold officially to the London Baptist Confession. So this all gets very bogged down <laughs> and we're getting into the weeds. I'm trying not to do this, uh, but there are a few handful, a handful of groups that do hold to the 1689 London Baptist Confession, which is what Spurgeon held to, which again is very, very uh, Calvinistic. It's basically the Westminster Confession of Faith. But for the most part, Baptists who are Calvinists are in different denominations mm. that don't really have a position one way or the other. And so if, you're, if you find a Baptist church, in my mind, if a church says First Baptist Church of so-and-so place, it doesn't really mean yep. much th- yep. to me theologically. You have to dig deeper, scratch a little bit deeper, and you know and, they will not baptize babies. <laughs> yes, yeah, <laughs> that's you do. About that's, what you... <laughs> that's about what you know. That's exactly right. They will not baptize any babies while you were at church that morning, <laughs> yeah. um, and that's about it. Baptists are quite broad in their in their groupings, um, and so. There's more that could be said. That's this is just the geographical streams, yep. Mark. We've only yes. made it through this this part of it. Uh, I don't know if we want to wrap it up here well, or can come back to it in another episode. We could certainly say that within, particularly the larger denominations, there are streams, sort of yes. creeks. You Even would in say in the CRC. There's various streams within our denomination. Yeah, that's and, important. And so, um, you know, I, some people would say. Oh yeah, isn't that too bad that there's there are different sort of types of Christian Reformed churches or different types of <laughs> yeah. PCA churches? Um, in some ways, but, it, it's bad. <laughs> in some ways, it is. But I would say, in some ways, you it's know, great. It, it can be really good actually yeah. to go to a church that's different, um, yeah. that has a different worship style than mm-hmm. what we have here. Um, that stretches us a little bit mm-hmm. um, because. We, we don't have to assume that the way that we're doing things is absolutely perfect and we wish the denomination was just so monolithic. I, I mm-hmm. think that um, it's really the more conservative reform denominations that become yeah. so monolithic that it. Hmm. what I observe from, I would say, quite a bit of observation is 
there can be a, a bit of stagnating of creativity mm-hmm. in some of those denominations. And, and so that would be a downside of the yeah, strong, homogenous identity of some of the more conservative, mm-hmm. um, traditional reform denominations. Now, yeah. we also recognize there's that danger on the other side of with, with diversity— you do need unity in some mm-hmm. dis- in some uh, in some way unity around something, and so yeah. um, Zach and I are always hoping that that unity in the Christian Reformed Church comes, of course, first through Christ and through the Word of God, mm-hmm. but also through an increasing um, value on the confessions, on yeah. uh, thinking and speaking like the Catechism and like mm-hmm. the Belgic Confession and like the great theological forefathers of our faith, Herman Bavink, John Calvin, even going further out to uh, Jonathan Edwards and Augustine, thinking and processing world events or things going on in our own lives in that kind of way. That's that's what we're always hoping that we're moving towards, and that our unity is around that, not an ethnic unity, but a theological unity. Um, But... Right. That's not always going to be there in the Christian Reformed Church because there is that diversity, and um, hmm. I hope we're always moving towards unity around those distinctives. But um, in the RCA, in the CRC, in the especially in the PCUSA, would be the most diverse that we've yeah. listed. Where you're going to find a really good PCUSA church in any town USA. I don't know exactly where that would be, but. Um, then you're also possibly going to find uh, in a PCUSA church um, people confessing sins to plants and yeah. crazy idolatry that's happening that is not even Christian, actually. Yeah. So there, there's going to be a, a large s- spread of um, <laughs> in, in particularly that denomination. Um, and so I guess even as I say that, I, I, I don't I want to encourage people, don't just value the homogenous, the the same, the safe option. Hmm. Um, it could be good to go to a PCA that's mm-hmm. a little bit more social justice focused mm-hmm. while you're on vacation, and and those you, do exist. And Some people and, think that they don't, but they do. <laughs> or a CRC or an RCA uh, that's going to be different yeah. than what you normally would experience. And just try to value that for what it is that the Lord could be speaking through mm-hmm. that, as long as it is a Christ centered word preaching church you could really benefit yeah i think that's a really good word there's there's things to appreciate in all of these different corners of the reformed tradition and man there are different corners that's this is an ongoing conversation in sort of the academic reformed world that i've seen in the last i don't know seven or eight years especially of what are sort of the uh what are the borders of Reformed Christianity, and what's the core of Reformed Christianity? We've now taken a step and put, sort of put our cards <laughs> on the table yeah. here a little bit, uh, but it's, it's an interesting conversation uh, at the very least. Maybe there's more to come back to here yeah, yeah. Uh, in future episodes, because um, we, did, we didn't even get into the sort of theological ways of sort of slicing these different sections of the Reformed tradition up one one common way maybe we'll come back to this in the future is the doctrinalist pietist transformationalist way of looking at mm-hmm. it which really has to do with uh the emphasis m- major yeah. uh components of of christianity in general christianity mm-hmm. w- if you think of what christianity is it is doctrines it is a spirituality or a piety and it is a 
outlook, a lived outlook for the world one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the Reformed tradition, uh, different wings of it or streams of it emphasize different pieces here. And so that would be something interesting to come yep. back to. Maybe we'll have to do that in a couple of weeks. Uh, I think for now, unless yeah. there's anything else no, you have to that's, say, Mark, that's a good stopping point. I think I, we can yeah. close it down and say thank you all to, to all of you uh, for listening. We really appreciate you guys tuning in week in and week out to hear what two little pastors in Central <laughs> yeah. California have to say. And so we look forward to being with you in the weeks ahead. And for now, grace and peace. Yep. See you.